There is this game that we we started playing where it's essentially your two guys that have been thrown into prison in the 70s. Yeah, it's a co-op um, only. You can only play it with two people. And you basically have to like work together to break out of the prison, essentially. <laughs> but... And that part is fun. The game overall is a lot of fun. But whenever they go into, like, acting scenes... Mm-hmm. Voice acting's a solid 6 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> the two main guys are like, eh, they're okay. Well, and your guy's like, voice better than mine, I think. Yeah, their girlfriends are, like, really shit. <laughs> <laughs> Lee's wife is literally... She talks like this. I, I told you... Harvey, I can't believe you would do this to me. I can't believe you would do that to us. Yeah, and I tell my girlfriend, I'm going to bring it to prison. She just goes... Bonjour! 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 There goes the baker with his tray like always. The same old bread and rolls to sell. Every morning just the same Since the morning that we came To this poor provincial town Good morning, Belle Bonjour, everyone, and welcome to Why Did We Watch This The podcast where three amis get together <laughs> Watch a bad movie Talk about what they like, what they didn't like And how they would fix it all while drinking a theme cocktail We invite you to be our guest For I am your host, Brendan An exclusively gay moment, Drischler uh, Je m'appelle Chris Be free! Ravel. And I am Lee. Promises I don't intend to keep. Still him. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this episode of Why Watch. As you may have guessed by my ridiculous accent and our nicknames, the movie we are doing is the 2017 mostly live-action remake of Beauty and the Beast, directed by Bill Condon, uh, starring Emma Watson, Dan Stevens, Luke Evans, Kevin Klein, Josh Gad, Ewan McGregor, Stanley Tucci, Audrey McDonald, Gugu, is it Mbathara or mm-hmm. Mbatha? Mbatha. Mbathara, okay. Believe. Ian McKellen and Emma Thompson. <laughs> Everyone's here, guys. The gang's all here, and they're all various CGI objects. Uh, You've probably seen this movie. There there are even parts of this movie that where the CGI just looked like a matte painting, and I was like, then what was the point? Mm. Because it's CGI. That's technology now. And obviously, to watch a movie such as this, we need a special drink to enjoy while we do it. Uh, Mm. It didn't quite go as planned. The drink we had intended to make... It's called Bittersweet and Strange. It was going to be two tablespoons of violet syrup, one cup of sparkling water, two tablespoons of lemon juice, and five ounces of gin. Uh, the violet syrup, what it was supposed to work is you basically make it kind of a day before. You let it steep overnight. You put the dried violets in an airtight container with uh, three-quarters cup of boiling water over them, seal it, let it steep, strain the water into a pan, add sugar or honey, heat it to a boil, reduce to a simmer, and let it cool. The problem we had initially there is that we did not make it the night before. We made it the day (laughs) of. And we thought, what's the problem? We've made simple syrups before. This happens all the time. There's no reason why we need to make it the day before. And what we found was we should have left it steep longer to maximize that color. Perhaps the issue (laughs) is that while the syrup certainly looked purple when in the container, when poured into the drink, mixed with everything else, it didn't look like much of anything at all. So the drink, uh, it was supposed to basically, basically just add the gin and sparkling water to the glass with ice, then stir in the violet syrup, and then add lemon juice last for a color change effect. Once, once it's settled, uh, a rosé-like color began to set in, which was not bad, um, but clearly I think we just needed more. We put the syrup right. in... Uh, maybe maybe we should have done everything except both of these ingredients and then done syrup, then done lemon juice very fast. That might maybe. have also made a difference. Yeah, that's also true, too. The basic thing is that while we thought this was going to be sort of purpley and turn kind of pink, it started out kind of mostly clear, like a and little then, a little opaque, kind of like a lemonade might look. And then turned rose. And then turned a little bit rose. So it didn't quite have the transformation um, we had hoped, much like the movie. But I was going to say, in a weird way, it comes back around to being in a perfect encapsulation of this movie because it is also an incomplete and unsatisfying transformation. It does. But... 
the leg up this drink has is that it was delicious. Yeah, the drink was better than the movie. So uh, good. Uh, yeah, no, it, it was very nice. Again, it was a summery drink because these are summery times. We need something nice and cool and refreshing to enjoy, and I think this basically fit the bill. Yeah. I got no complaints with that drink. Good not drink. at all. Yeah, no, nice and juicy. I would totally take it on not a... Not too sweet, not too sour. I would <laughs> I would totally take it outside in an open, open air space. You would be fine. Yes, you would. <laughs> All right. So, so back that. Yeah. Uh, so having discussed the drink, we got to go on to the synopsis of the movie. Now, I'm sure most people are familiar with this movie, either because you've seen the original one or you're one of the millions of people who saw the remake that helped it to gross like whatever the fuck it was. One bill, one point two billion dollars worldwide. Uh, the highest Christ. grossing live action musical film. 10th highest grossing film of all time. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Highest, highest grossing musical film ever? Yeah. Jeez. I mean, I'm not sure, perhaps. I just different how, how many people see it? Because people love Beauty and the Beast, the original. I appreciate it. I saw it when, during its... I mean, yeah, I did. It's like, it's the timing thing, too, right? Because, like, if you were a child when you saw Beauty and the Beast, there is a distinct possibility mm-hmm. that you now have children of your own. So you go, oh, let's take the kids to see the thing that I loved as a child, except soulless and <laughs> awful. But yeah. that doesn't stop Hollow, yeah. mechanical. Yeah. yeah, so... Madame de Wikipedia... <laughs> An enchantress, disguised as an old beggar woman, arrives at a castle during a ball and offers the host, a cruel and selfish prince, a rose in return for shelter from the storm. When he refuses, she reveals her identity. As punishment for the prince's lack of compassion, the enchantress transforms him into a beast and his servants into household objects, then erases the castle himself and his servants from the memories of their loved ones and everyone else in town. She casts a spell on the rose and warns the prince that the spell will only be broken if he learns to love another and be loved in return before the last petal falls, where he will remain a beast forever. You want to talk about Moulin Rouge crossover? There's right there. For real. <laughs> I want to be loved. I love. Anyway. And uh, be loved and return. Hill McGregor should have sang that at the end. <laughs> yes. Anyway, some years later, in the small town of Villeneuve, I don't know how to say that. <laughs> Villeneuve? Good. Uh, your, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I do not know French. Belle, the book-loving daughter of an inventor named Maurice, dreams of adventure. She constantly brushes off advances from Gaston, the arrogant former soldier, as he is not the type of man Belle wishes to marry. On Maurice's way to convention... <laughs> to convention. a convention, sorry. And lost in the forest. <laughs> he's trying to find his way back. <laughs> from sanity to convention. <laughs> to normal the town's where, like, Maurice... Yeah. <laughs> shape up or ship out. <laughs> Anyway, that would be pretty funny. On his way to a convention, he gets lost in the forest. He seeks refuge in the Beast Castle, but the Beast imprisons him for stealing a rose from his garden as a gift to Belle. When Maurice's horse returns without him, Belle ventures out in search of him and finds him locked in the castle dungeon. Belle tricks both her father and the Beast by asking for a simple hug goodbye from her father. She pushes him out and locks herself in the dungeon. The Beast agrees to let her take her father's place and forces Maurice to leave immediately. Belle befriends the castle servants, candelabra footman Lumiere, <laughs> clock major Dormo Cogsworth, feather duster maid Plumet, teapot housekeeper Mrs. Potts, and her teacup son Chip. They invite her to a spectacular dinner. When she wanders into the forbidden west wing and finds the rose, the beast scares her into the woods. Belle is ambushed by a pack of wolves, but the beast rescues her, becoming injured in the process. As Belle nurses his wounds, a spark develops between them. <laughs> so we're told. The Beast shows Belle a gift from the Enchantress, a book that transports readers wherever they want. Belle uses the book to visit her childhood home in Paris, where she discovers a plague doctor's mask and realizes that she and her father were forced to leave when her mother succumbed to the plague. In Villeneuve, Maurice fails to convince the other villagers of the Beast and Belle's imprisonment. Gaston, seeing rescuing Belle as an opportunity to win her hand in marriage, agrees to help Maurice. 
When Maurice learns of his ulterior motive and rejects him, Gaston abandons him to be eaten by the wolves. (laughs) Maurice is rescued by the town hermit Agatha, but... Agatha. I think it's Agatha. Oh, is it Agatha? Okay. It's basically Agatha. Um, But when he tells the townsfolk of Gaston's crime and is unable to provide solid evidence, Gaston convinces them to send Maurice to an insane asylum. After sharing a romantic dance with the beast, Belle discovers her father's predicament using a magic mirror. The beast uh, releases her to save Maurice, giving her the mirror to remember him with. At Villeneuve, Belle reveals the beast in the mirror to the townsfolk, proving her father's sanity. Realizing that Belle loves the beast, a jealous Gaston claims she has been charmed by dark magic and has her thrown into the asylum carriage with her father. He rallies the villagers to follow him to the castle to slay the beast before he curses the whole village. Inside the asylum carriage, Belle tells her father that she knows what happened to her mother and showed him the rose rattle she took from her magical visit to their old abandoned home. Maurice and Belle escape, and Belle rushes back to the castle. During the battle, Gaston abandons his companion Lafou, who then sides with the servants to fend off the villagers. He attacks the beast in his tower, who is too depressed to fight back, but regains his spirit upon seeing Belle return. He defeats Gaston, but spares his life before reuniting with Belle. However, Gaston ungratefully shoots the beast from a bridge, and then, which then collapses as the castle begins to crumble, leading Gaston to fall to his apparent death. The beast then dies as the last petal falls, and the servants become inanimate. As Belle tearfully professes her love to the beast, Agatha reveals herself as the enchantress and undoes the spell, repairing the crumbling castle, restoring the beast and servants to their human forms and to the village's memories. The prince and Belle host a ball for the kingdom where they dance happily. Maybe it's because they didn't pay so much attention. And exclusively gay moment happens. Wink, wink. And, uh, yeah, also the, the queer cause is over because it was it was solved. Lefou was gay the whole time. Yeah. The little homunculus um, who was in love with his, be- his friend. Whose name just translates to the, the fool. fool. Yep, he's gay. Thanks, Disney. We appreciate Thanks it. progress. Uh, I did not put it together that Agatha and the the... The crone were the same. Really? I just did not. What did you think she was doing at the end there? I didn't pay attention. You just think that she showed up to do some magic? Yeah. I mean, the rest of the movie things just happened for no reason, so I just put it in that context. Well, I'll put it out there. I wasn't paying attention, but I figured that out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. 2017's Beauty and the Beast. That was it. I mean, once I got my gay moment out of it, I just stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. So to kick this all off, I thought we would talk a little bit about the general trend of Disney live-action remakes um, as they've been happening right now. We are, uh, as we all know, Mulan is coming out on Disney Plus, uh, like, this week, I think, basically. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, that, that's, that's something you could definitely see if you wanted to pay $30 on top of having a subscription to Disney Plus. Uh, we've also had, what, we've had Cinderella, we've had Dumbo, we've had Jungle Book, we've had Lion King, Aladdin, um, I think, and I guess, if one counts Maleficent, which I guess one yes. could call Maleficent, kind of. I would say more so uh, Mistress of Evil is more in line with the recent remakes uh, than the very first Maleficent. Well, I mean, Maleficent the original is in line with it because it is a remake of the original yeah. movie, albeit one from the perspective of another character, and therefore I think in terms of the way it's told, probably deviates the most. I would say it's like 50% material. part of this sort of category of movies because I feel like... The other half is Wicked. No, I don't. I think that it. I think that Maleficent doesn't deserve to be lumped together. I, Maleficent, like, I think, does enough different that it kind. Maleficent yeah. kind of justifies its existence a little bit better than most of the. Yeah, by do. like not just doing like we're gonna do the Sleeping Beauty, but by saying like we're gonna do a story about the villain of the Sleeping Beauty and 
what was you know right we're going to strive to make like a very two dimensional villain into like a three dimensional yeah. character I, I see what you things. mean whereas with these you're truly like okay then what the what is the right it's not right it's not like you're doing this you know from Gaston's point of view it's not like the movie is like Gaston and right. like why Gaston yeah. was misunderstood and, or something like when you already are, when you do this like my first challenge to you already is like what is the point of your existence like yeah. right. prove to me that you would deserve to exist right I mean the, the issue so. Uh, also, Pete's Dragon. I kind of got on Pete's Dragons, which oh, kind yeah. of counts. But Pete's Dragon was probably my favorite of these. I don't know if you guys saw it. Um, I have not. I never, but I don't like Pete's Dragon. I the, mean, the original. The original is not a good movie. Yeah. I will. I will tell you flat out. Like, if anything, yeah. Pete's Dragon the remake is justified because the original was such a bad movie that like also, anything you can do to change that is probably a step in the right direction. Yeah. And I think it makes it into like it's it's a very charming movie, whereas the original is just kind of like two and a half hours of soulless Mary Poppins wannabe nonsense. And I, I think there's also though there's special baggage that comes with these other. Disney remakes that doesn't necessarily come right. with Pete's Dragon because Pete's Dragon wasn't flogged to death as an item of nostalgia for people right. our age. And that's the thing too. It's work. a lot easier to take a movie that didn't work and do a remake because if you change it, who fucking cares? Because no one liked it in the first place, right? So like, yeah, let's do our live action Perdane movies because no one liked The Black Cauldron so we might as well make a movie that has something to do with the books. Yeah. Whereas if you're doing like Beauty and the Beast, and you're like, oh, well, we're going to cut Be Our Guest. And people are going to be like, but why? Why would you cut Be Our Guest? Like, that's what Beauty and the Beast is to me. You can't cut Be Our Guest. So it is sort of interesting also that when you compare how this trend initially kind of started for at least this... I mean, before this we had, there was in, I think, 94, there was a live-action Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. And in 96, we had that 101 Dalmatians live-action. Yeah, there was a sequel. But We've the live-action was Glenn Close. action Peter Pan's. Yeah, that's, yep. well, yeah, but they weren't Disney necessarily. Disney no. has not made a live-action Peter Pan yet. It's going to happen. Um, and so, like, but for this round, it was kind of like, we started out doing a little bit, like, I think Jungle Book and Cinderella were the two that kind of faked it off, where they both clearly were drawing from the source material of these movies, but they weren't slavishly recreating it. So, like, Cinderella is not a musical. Jungle Book is barely, like, Jungle Book has two songs, which I think really kind of stick out in an odd way and should have been cut in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like, you have a little bit of Baloo singing The Bare Necessities, and then Christopher Walken's King Louis sings I Want to Be Like You. And when he starts singing that, it's really like, what? It's just what? Very what, are you, what are you doing? What are you doing yeah. here? So, like... I think after that was the point where uh, we went to Beauty and the Beast, and Beauty and the Beast is a very quote-unquote faithful recreation of the animated movie in the sense that it is sticking to the basic story, it's sticking to the songs that you remember from that movie, and adding a few others. <laughs> so, like, that's, that's I think, where we start to deviate. Where I, yeah. I enjoyed The Jungle Book, actually, a, a lot. Um, that might just be me. I think that, Just like, for clarity's sake, you're speaking of specifically the Disney one, not the... The Netflix um, one, not no, I've never seen or the one. other other one. The what's his nuts, John Favreau. Yes, John Favreau. Speaking of the John Favreau yeah. Jungle Book with okay. um with um Bill Murray and Ben Kingsley yeah. and Idris Elba, yeah. which uh, I enjoyed a lot because uh, I I like the animated Jungle Book. I don't love the animated Jungle Book, but it is a very it's it's a very episodic movie. Where it's just like the gear wants to take Mowgli to the man cub village or whatever, yeah. and like shit happens. Yeah, Mowgli runs away. He meets Baloo. He meets King Louis. Like Shere Khan shows up, and yeah. so it's like a bunch of episodic elements happen. And, and the then, end of it is still kind of arbitrary. Right. It's like, and then it's like Mowgli's like, guess I will stay with like yeah. oh, there's a sexy oh, girl, there's a sexy girl, yeah, the sexy girl. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to go, and then it's just kind of like, okay, I, I guess you will. But, like, the one thing I will say about the live live action Jungle Book remake is that um, it, it gives a stronger story. Mm. Like, it keeps most of the characters, it keeps most of the events, but it gives it an actual, like, backbone to hang these on, which it, I think is a good choice. It also has a theme and a central question, which is, I would even say it kind of argues for a second, makes you wonder if Shere Khan isn't maybe a little right that his right. that his human presence is dangerous. And he is, because, like, at the end, like, Shere Khan's like, oh, you just set fire to the fucking jungle. Like, yeah. maybe you shouldn't be here. You're kind of like, oh, good point, Shere Khan. Good point, Shere Khan. So I actually thought that 
though that's an in- so that is adding something new that right. I'm actually I think that moves the story forward in some way or it's giving you a new dimension or it's forcing you to look at it in a certain way. Right. But um, this Beauty and the Beast, um, Cinderella. Aladdin, I'm sure it does, but I didn't see it. Um, even the Mary Poppins Returns, Lion King, which I did eventually see, all of those seem to be, they mean, they seem to be made to be both slavishly devoted to something so that you cannot complain that they did not honor the nostalgia thing that you, that BuzzFeed taught you to love so much. But, it also wants a pat on the back for adding in new social justice angles, which are mostly just like gestures or addressing it's, things that were not. A I mean, a lot of it is like lip service rather than actual, mm-hmm. you know, a- a- actually attempting to like deal with these issues in a serious way. Part of the issue that I kind of have here is that it almost seems the fact that these movies are existing now kind of seems to state that like the end goal of every animated movie is to be a live action movie. Like I don't animated think... animated movies are not enough. You have to be a live action movie to be like a legit thing. I don't agree with that. I don't I don't agree that Disney is making that point. I, I don't, don't agree that don't... people are demanding that. I I think that one thing we haven't really addressed, which is what I think is uh, a big factor of these live action movies is just Disney trying to make some money. No, it's 100% that. Yeah. It's 100% Disney realizing that yeah. they can just go back, remake things that they already have, and, and people yeah. will pay money and to doesn't see it. Doesn't it also renew their power over the IP? I don't know if that's entirely. I've them. heard that before as a thing, but like the fact of the matter is, most of these are movies that came out like 20, 30 years ago that are in no danger of going into the public domain anytime soon. If they're really worried about the IP, you'd see them remaking Snow White. Which um, I I think honestly that like we've seen Disney do a lot of like interesting decisions in the last like you know maybe last decade in the deck you know the nineties and the two thousands and I think that that we've been on a massive downward spiral however much money they're making now in quality like it this is just like for me a sign of the like a massive yeah, innovation I mean, of this is this is quality. so like Bob Iger who is still but will no longer be within I forget how much period of time, the CEO of Disney, so? he's stepping, he's announced a while ago, Who's he's stepping, I've, some guy who, who handled parks, which is not very encouraging, because he was not looked on as particularly great, but anyway, just sort of dwelled into, maybe we should buy this IP, or yeah. it started as like, you know, like, like, well, well, like, what about John Carter, let's make John Carter, that's like an action movie, maybe that'll appeal to boys, we'll try a sequel to Tron, and now it's just yeah. sort of like, fuck it, we own Marvel, we own Star Wars, we don't have to like, make our own thing to appeal to boys, we can just give them this thing. Yeah. It, well, I do think there's also... I think what we see is a general, almost like a laziness or like a lack of creativity because now they can just lean on these IPs, which will mint the money pretty much no matter what they do. Well, unless you're Dumbo. True. Oh, what, was that a big old failure? I didn't. I, don't I would, think I it would did love terrible. to see um, like post-war PTSD Dumbo. Honestly, I have to tell you, great. I've seen it. It's a strange movie. I'm strange to the point the that I almost think it's good. It, yeah. Like, I almost think it's good. Just because really? it's such a weird... Like, I mean, th- there's a lot of fucking problems with it where it's like this whole thing at the end. Where at the end, the circus is like, we're, we're animal cruelty free. And, like, we won't have animals in our circus anymore. And Dumbo gets to go back to Africa, which, like, I guess is what Dumbo wanted. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> like, the whole thing leading up to it. It's, so, you know, it's not from the point of view of Dumbo and Timothy J. Mouse. It's from the point of view of Colin Farrell and his kids. And so, like... You you have some like you know the the way the story is being told is very different from the animated movie so like that gives it something also and there's this whole entire thing where Michael Keaton is playing this character who's kind of Walt Disney esque it almost 
feels a little bit like it's commenting, like commenting on its own like way of presenting the world of like the way that Disneyland presents the world as like this very happy, nice place where nothing bad happens, and it's like almost saying like this is not true and this is not right, and so like it, it it's the most that I think Disney has come in recent years close to sort of commenting on like the actual bad things that it has done in the past, you know? Yes. Whereas it, it tends to be very, like we said, this kind of, like, lip service thing with other versions mm-hmm. of it. And it's like, obviously, there are other things where, like, they're not addressing, you know, the inherent racism of Dumbo whatsoever. We're like, we could talk for a long time about the Crows, we could talk for a long time about the Song of the Roustabouts, and, like, the fact that, you know, it's, like, an entire musical number where it's, like, black characters being like, we just want our money, we're gonna go drink, and that's it, and we're done. It's like, we could talk about that, which Dumbo does not at all address. So, like, it's not really dealing with a lot of the issues, but it's dealing with something, which I think makes it a little bit more interesting than, say, Aladdin or The Lion King. Here's why I'm, I look at that still with a bit of skepticism, because at the end of the day, I think that's just grown out of what Disney has realized is making them a lot of money, is when they wink at what the perception of them or their products are. And maybe that was the first time that they were mostly addressing like something real, which was that Disney himself had a lot of political negative damage that he brought as a result of his work. Um, it ultimately ends up serving them because that comment's probably not a particularly deep statement being made on their past, but it is enough of one for people to point at and be like, look, that corporation who has done terrible things is self-aware. I feel better about consuming their products. Right, and that certainly is true. But the fact of the matter is also every corporation is a terrible corporation. You know? I know. So it's just sort of like, we live in a capitalist society, this is the way your life is going to There be is lived. no ethical like, consumption right, in exactly. capitalism. So it's like, we can't even begin to scratch the surface of that shit. I guess what I'm saying and is... And I don't want to. Like, I feel like... I don't want to detract from this very enlightening conversation, but we're, we're talking a lot about... <laughs> Other the, movies. In this topic no. of Beauty and the Beast, about not Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that the, right. the overarching point here is that this is like the next in a long line of like weird live action cash and remakes that is just some part of the original which yep. better. Yeah, no, there I mean there's certainly like I said, I think that these things work best whenever we were not beholden to the source material. So yes. like a little bit with Jungle Book, mostly with Peach Dragon, kind of with Dumbo. Yeah. But then you have like this. Well, there's definitely things to fix. Right, yeah. And that's the thing too, right? Like also there there are issues. This one seems to be fixing issues that some people had with the original that don't actually matter. Mm-hmm. So right, you you have like the idea of like 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 what is a plot hole, right? Like, like yeah. what what is a plot hole versus like what is a complaint you have specifically that the movie is not adequately pointing something out to the point that you feel it has been addressed, There's right? Also like a level of like something being like too like pedantic to really need to have a discussion. And I think that a big thing that this movie does is it explains things to the point that it just causes more problems, right? So it's like in the original Beauty and the Beast. The premise is, he gets turned into a beast, there is a flower, it will bloom until he turns 21. When the last petal falls at that point, he'll be stuck as a beast forever, they'll be stuck as the animated versions of objects forever, that's it. In this one, it's like, it's going to bloom for many years, they're going to slowly turn into objects, when it's done, they'll be stuck as objects, everyone in the town has forgotten about them, the enchantress has made sure they don't remember. In the original, it's like, if you have the question, well, why don't the people in the town remember that there's this big castle somewhere nearby? They're like, aha, they don't remember because the enchantress put a spell on them. Whereas, it's just like, who cares? Who cares? Who cares that they don't remember that there's a castle nearby? It's a fucking fairy tale. This shit happens in fairy tales. Sometimes there are castles around and you just don't know. And also, like, I never got the impression from the anime movie the castle was a mile next to the village. Like, I thought yeah. it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And these fairy tales are full of castles in the middle of nowhere who don't seem to have any actual political power in this region. It, it's just a prince in a castle. That's all that matters. It's so wild how much contempt for even just, like, fairy tale tropes the movie seems to have in that way, where it's like, we can't let the audience ever think that anything could just 
be unexplained in this movie. It could just be a, a, an element of living in a magical world where there's an enchanted castle in the forest. We don't need it all to be broken down like this. Mm-hmm. It sucks a lot of the mystique and ma- literally the magic out of it. And the whole thing about like the flower blooming until he turns 21 is sort of like a fridge logic thing where at the time I don't think about it. But then afterwards, if you look back, you're kind of like, oh, so the prince was, he was a snotty eight-year-old and she showed up at his doorstep and was like, hey, child, yeah. you're a little shit. I'm going to turn you to a beast. So like, that's kind of weird. And so like, admittedly, that is one of those things that I probably didn't think about when watching it. But afterwards, you're sort of like, huh. It is kind of strange, but, like, the way that the stage show addresses it is it just says that he was turned into a beast, the flower will bloom for many years, and when the flower is done, so it's like, he could be 30 at this point, he could have been 20 when he was turned into a beast, it's fine. Yeah. So, like, you don't have that issue of, like, oh, like, well, what's, what, so this enchantress came up and turned a child into a beast, that's not very fair of her. Just, like, like all, all this shit that doesn't really, li- like, it's being explained in the most roundabout way possible so as to present more problems, because then when you have a whole issue of, like, oh, the villagers actually, they forgot about everyone in the castle, but, like, Everyone in the castle didn't forget about the villagers. Right. So, like, why at no point did Mrs. Potts try to like not communicate a message to her husband who lived in the village close by or something like that? You know, like these people in the castle didn't age. Everyone in the village seems to have aged. Like, yeah. like we're just we're, we're creating more problems by you trying to solve these problems. Additionally, I would almost feel like wouldn't, wouldn't the same pedant be like, why did the sorceress feel the need to hurt these servants who literally had no choice? And why did you put the line into their mouths so that they feel responsible? Right. And for... the explanation this time is that <laughs> they were cursed because they think it is their fault that the beast turned awful because when his evil father made him into an evil baby after his mother died the servants didn't stop well, her. Well because as we all know pre-revolution France was an egalitarian society right? Where like the servants could have been like right. hey rich man you stop that. Exactly. <laughs> I, 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 I hate that so much. It works so much better for me when the enchantress is this thing that you are told about in a prologue who shows up gets mad, curses them all, and And splits. And that's it. Why does she curse them? She's a fucking enchantress. Doesn't matter. No reason is presented. She's a magical being. You're not going to understand her ways. You're not going to understand her logic. She just did it, and she left. I don't need an answer. (laughs) You you pointed this out. I didn't even realize it the first time, but she asks for a rose, and for some reason that's a separate rose from the magic rose, even though everyone's reacting kind of the same either way. Well, right. So the thing (laughs) is, so in the original fairy tale, Beauty has two sisters who are bitches, and when their father goes off to, like, be a merchant or something, he's going off to do, I don't know, whatever. Uh, they're like, like, hey, dad, bring us back jewels. Bring us back treasure chests. And he's like, okay, and what do you want, beauty? She's like, ah, Rose, that's fine. And so as he's going off, like, he loses all their money and he's, like, getting back. He's, like, wandering back and he has to stop at this castle. Sees a rose outside and is like, oh, hey, she wanted a rose. I'm going to get that to her. And the bee shows up and is like, hey, don't fucking pick my flowers. Like, get in my dungeon here. Like, how dare yeah. you? It's like, it's fine. He's a fickle bitch who doesn't want people picking his flowers. Makes sense. In this one, it's Maurice wanders inside, like, takes advantage of his hospitality. Like, the beast sees him leave. He leaves. Maurice, like, gets outside, sees a rose girl, he's like, oh, right, she wanted a rose, like, picks it and leaves. Whereas, is he eating... Is the beast aware that he's eating in the palace? I don't know that he is or isn't, because we don't see the beast seeing him until the shot at the end in where the Maurice... In the animated movie, is he aware? In the animated movie, he walks in on Maurice, like, sitting in front of the fire with uh. the enchanted objects there. So, the, like, the different thing in the animated movie is that, like, the animated objects reveal themselves all to Maurice, and he's like, this is fucking nuts, but, like, no, no, it's okay, like, come sit by the fire, yeah. it's fine. And the beast shows up and is like, I- I'm sorry, did you, like, fucking invite this guy in to sit in front of my fire? And that's when he throws him into the dungeon. Okay. So in both of those, he's kind of an asshole. I mean, oh, yeah. either way, it makes very little sense. Why, uh, again, other than, like, he's learned literally nothing in all right. the time he's been a beast. Yeah. Of, like, why he would be like, oh, you had dinner where I'm very rich and can afford to? Or right, right, right. Both of those things are, like, 
insane reasons to put someone in a jail forever. Right. No, it, it unequivocally is. And I, the, the point there is just that, like, the beast is a sack of shit, right? And so he's going to have to learn. And that's where his I character guess. is. The point that I, I have... Like it either. I don't like it in either of those. I'm not going to... And I think that's fine. It's a little tough in both. I, I think the, the point that I have with throwing the rose back into... So this version of the movie also has Belle ask her father for a rose when he's coming back from convention. So he stops <laughs> off there. As he's leaving... He sees a rose, the beast see, or he sees a rose, he picks it, the beast drops down and is like, I'll fucking dare you and throws him in a dungeon. Yeah. Whereas I think a much more interesting way of doing it would be if Maurice wanders through the castle, sees the magic rose, rose yeah. like under the glasses, about to like touch him, like, wow, what a fucking great looking rose. That's what my daughter asked for. I'm just gonna take this rose. And the beast shows up and is like, What the fuck are you doing to my magic rose? Because then it tracks that the beast would freak out because... right. and throws yeah. him in a dungeon. I think... Makes sense and also makes the beast's rose a focal point of the story again. I think my problem with um both just the story in general and the fairy tale in general, which, you know, the fairy tale is what it is and it's meant to sort of like instruct a very different society. Right, of course. We're long past that point where like we have to start with a character who's just an asshole. And so like that, you know, that's fine if that's what we were dealing with in the fairy tale. Like he's just a mean asshole that needs to be taught better. But like, I don't find that arc particularly interesting of like, well, he's just a dick and he is mean to people for no reason and he has to be taught to care about people. Right. Which is like, frankly, like, if you don't care about people at all, if you literally have no empathy... How well, do you have that explained to you? You are probably a sociopath. <laughs> like, you very likely are not someone who just has no empathy like, or, or that thoughtless. Like, You probably ha- are just ex- incredibly misguided in some way. <laughs> and so like, I don't feel like it's a compelling starting point or arc for them, for the whole... like. Imp- I, I would rather it be like something like what you were saying, and I would rather the curse come from something more compelling than like, well, he was just a dick. I think the idea is also you could have different ways of the beast showing how he's dealing with this spell that was put... Like, yeah. where I think like one way, which he does in the Disney version and kind of in this one, is that he's he, he shouts a lot, he throws things, like he's very physically angry. Whereas with the Kato one, he's sort of like gloomy and morose right. about everything. Where it's like, he's not like violent, but he's just like, he realizes that this is going to be his lot in life, there's no changing this, and it's just sort of like whatever the fuck, he's like depressed, basically. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting way of like doing the character, too, whereas instead of being like a beast in the sense of being like this physically aggressive creature, he is physically a beast, but he's also just sort of like depressed the entire time, yeah. which I think is kind of an interesting take on the concept. But then like this version of the movie is so uninterested in like approaching any of that ever, because I mean, like we don't even, he doesn't really work through his shit. He doesn't change the beast. And then also, it's like, we can't hold really any of it against him by the end, because it's not his fault. It's dad. It's dad's fault. Right. So, I mean, it does seem like that's the easiest fucking way to explain a character's motivation in a movie like this. Where, like, this is another thing that I hate about Maleficent, too, is that they explain that, like, Maleficent's bad because King Stefan was bad. And so it was like, why was King Stefan bad? Well, maybe his dad was bad. Where it's like, everyone who we thought was a villain is bad because (laughs) someone else was bad to them. So it's like, it's just like passing the blame along to someone. Right. So, like, less, like, less we deal with their, like, psychology and figure out, like, why they view this. It's sort of like, oh, someone else was mean to them. So, it like, just, yeah. why is the beast bad in this? Uh, his dad was mean. And just, for the record, I am fine with, like, there, I mean, in real life, some people are just, like, sociopaths. No, and I think that's horrible. fine, too. So, I'm fine with that being the case for some of the characters in movies, but not, I mean, clearly the beast wouldn't be because he's someone we're supposed to care about. Right. And have a redeeming quality, so he wouldn't be that. So, how did he get that way? So it's fine. I think it's fine if his dad is, like, a sociopath. Psychopathic, abusive fuck. 
Right. But I don't. But then we don't deal with that at all. I know. It's like you never unlearn yes. that behavior necessarily. It's invoked by way of explanation, not by way of enlightenment. Yeah, right. it's, like it's people telling you that he had a bad dad. We right. never see the dad. Right. No, and that's what I hate the most. Too. You like have that weird flashback where his where mom he, like, is dying, takes him away from and the he's like singing to her, and then his dad just shows. Was like, all right, get the fuck out of here, kid. Yeah. But like, it's like you see his father being a bad person. It's, the objects are just like, oh, he was a real shit. It's just bananas to me that the movie never really like comes back to prove the staff wrong mm-hmm. that like they're wrong to take it onto themselves because they are. Um, I think it's weird that they want to invoke that the beast was a bad guy, but they're so uninterested in actually working with that at all. Like the whole interesting part of the animated film is that you could track his progress. And you did see him eventually, like, kind of meet Belle in the middle. In this, he just negs her, he's, and she somehow finds the, the patience time. in herself to put up with it. Yeah. Because if she doesn't, all of these poor servants are going to die. Right. The library is, the, like, my least favorite part of how they present it in this movie versus the M.A. one. Where in oh, the you've, you've one, seen a library? Right. Fuck you. Here's yeah. mine. Yeah. The Beast is, like, watching her, and he's talking to Cogsworth and Lumiere, and he's like, I've never felt this way before. Like, I want to do something for her. And then Lumiere's like, oh, she likes books. And the Beast mm-hmm. is like come see my library, like, it's for you, it's great. And this one, she's reading Romeo and Juliet to him by bed, so he's like, oh, what a fucking dumb book. And yeah. you see, he's like, he's like, oh, sorry, have you read better books? He's like, yeah, let me fucking show you some better books. And yeah. takes off, he's like, here's a library, why don't you read something for once? And she's like, oh, oh my gosh, like, how charming of him. He's cracking jokes. She's like, what an asshole. Yeah. I think that it comes off that way, but I think that it wasn't... I think that it's just bad writing. Yeah, it is. Like, I don't think that they meant for him to be that much of an ass. I don't think... No, they, I, oh, no, I 100% don't think they did I either. I, I think, think that they're just not handling it. Yeah, no, yeah, but yeah, the yeah. problem is just that they changed the motivation for every nice thing he does yes. for Bell in the anime version to being something that, like... Dickish. Right, or, or that, like, the servants do instead. So, like, when... The, when Belle has her own room, it's because Lumiere shows up. It's like, hey, let's, let's, let, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, let's show you a bedroom. Whereas in the animated one, Lumiere's like, you know, she's going to be with us for a long time. Like, maybe you should give her someplace nice. And he's like, okay, come here. Let me take you around the castle. This is where you stay. Don't go in the West Wing. It's also nuts that in this one, the Beast doesn't tell her, don't go into the West Wing. I know! And Cogsworth is the one who's like, don't go in there. So it's just, mm-hmm. like, how much do you care about this shit, Beast? Like, if you don't care, I don't care. Well, I'm out. If you keep parceling away or just not doing many of the moments of your core relationship, what do you have left in the story? And honestly, it's not much. It's a very hollow core. I mean, they keep, like, the music moments, like the fucking... Snowball fight in the garden. <laughs> yeah. The dance, but they don't yeah. have the same resonance at all. No, no. honestly, like, I, I feel like th- there's such a good comparison between the animated version of the song Beauty and the Beast, which I love a lot, mm-hmm. and this version, where it's like, in the animated version, it's two characters dancing in a ballroom. That's basically all you get. They, like, they do a lot with body language, where, like, they start, where Belle is, like, really eager to dance, and she, like, grabs him, and they, like, go start dancing, and at the end of the song, she, like, puts her head on his chest, and, like, the Beast turns around and is like... And, like, all the other objects are like, yeah, nice work. Whereas in this one, he's just, like, a big CGI lump. And they Mm -hmm. dance awkwardly. Like, they dance the same way that, like, the homecoming king and queen might dance in high school. (laughs) And just, like, split at the end. And also, while this is going on, there's, like, all this over-orchestration. And all these objects on the wall are, like, playing instruments and moving around. Just, like, fuck it. It can't just be, like, a fucking ballroom. It has to be, like, the busiest goddamn ballroom. And also, like... I don't think it was, but it feels so small and cramped yes. compared to like the, like you're a CGI movie. You have so much money at your disposal. You can make this the biggest goddamn ballroom I've ever seen, and it feels like it's I don't know the size of this apartment basically. Yeah. Like it's it's just not that impressive to me when you compare it to the animated one. Especially when I just think it, sometimes the CGI was just straight shitty. There were times when like Beast's face looked really terrible. I thought the wolves looked bad. Um, I thought there were many shots where I was like, guys, I get that you had a large like sweeping landscape to fill with digital trees, but like then maybe just don't do that if it's going to look that way. Like a lot of it just looked very 
paint by numbers. I mean, there's so there's a lot to be said, I think, also about how the CGI here makes it difficult for you to connect to these characters and feel emotional resonance for them. Whereas, like, in the original, there's something also you can be like, you can talk about how, like, the Beast physically looks differently in different scenes. Like, yes. when he shows up and sees Maurice, he's drawn as, like, much more aggressive and angular. And, like, but, like, when he's with Belle, he, he's a lot more, like, soft-looking. So, like, they physically change the way he looks from scene to scene based on, like, how he's supposed to be presented to you as a character so that you can look at him and be like, oh, like, he's gentler here. Like, oh, he's meaner here. Like, he's more feral. But in this one, it's the same fucking CGI buffalo man every single time mm-hmm. you see him. It's very hard to get a reading on Dan Stevens acting in this movie because he's covered by gobs of CGI makeup similarly with the enchanted objects whereas you have just sort of like this anthropomorphic teapot with like basically a person face on the side say for a spout nose here it's like it's a china painting of a face so like you're not getting a whole lot of emotion out of this object because it's limited in how much it can go while still trying to be quote-unquote realistic which is a tendency you see in uh on even larger display in lion king right i mean it's like a lot of flat faces that we're then asked to emotionally connect to but it's very hard to right i mean that is like none of us saw that robert tajini movie with all the animals but uh oh right oh yeah that would have had the same problem i'm sure it would have in theory i can kind of see a version of doolittle that would work that way because it is man talks to animals right it's not like magic animals or like animals like that that's quote-unquote fine, I think, Mm -hmm. this is a little bit more of a difficult pill to swallow. And even with something like The Jungle Book, The Jungle Book feels kind of like Aesop fable-y from time to time. So, like, it's very easy, I think, to have a human boy and animals that look like actual animals in The Jungle Book and still get the same sort of feel because The Jungle Book is presented as sort of like a fairly realistic world, albeit one where the animals will talk to him and impart lessons. Whereas with The Lion King, it's like, there's no people. It's just animals. What are you following here? Right. Why do you need them to look real? You don't. I also just want to put a note in there. If Disney's way of trying to make her more explicitly feminist was to have her teach a girl to read and like create a washing machine against the oppressions of the patriarchy, I'm just like, no thanks. There's some the scene where she tries, like... Lumiere's like, oh, she's probably in there, terrified. And you see, like, she's not fucking terrified. She's tying sheets together, climbing out the window. Like, God forbid she'd be sitting there on the bed, like, distraught because her father was taken away from her. She's in a prison. Like, no, she's a fucking feminist and she's climbing out that damn window. It's like, you're allowed, like, feminism is not like the absence of emotions. Like, you can have feelings. You can be sad because your father was taken away from you and you were in a prison. You don't have to, like, every single fucking moment of your being be like, I gotta get out of this situation. The moment I want out of all of this is like, so a beast has decided to imprison your father mm-hmm. for stealing a single rose, mm-hmm. an ordinary rose, and then you get out of it by being like, okay, well, take me instead. My moment of feminism would be like, hey, isn't this a little extreme? Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, maybe I could pay you? Yeah, like, how much for a rose? Let me yeah. grow you a new one. Yeah. I, don't know if I, I don't know if you've met me, but I've read a lot of books, maybe one about botanism. And, like, by what power, other than, like, I guess you're big and scary, I guess, but, like, probably I could rally enough people to stop, but, like, under what power are you... Like, what authority do you wield over me? Like, I don't know, it just... It's, I guess it's a fairy tale. we have to walk past it, but, like, I would just love to be like, I mean, why? Like, what is the, why, why must I stay Let's here? Let's challenge yeah. the whole game here. Why must my father stay here? I want an answer. Uh, I also just want to talk about, just because we, we've alluded to it, but not really talked about it directly, mm-hmm. uh, similar to the feminism thing, like, that was our gay moment, was LeFou. Oh, yeah, all right. So that's fucking... nothing even to do with, like, the story. It's no. Just, At like, all. The, the production and the powers, the creative powers behind it, just, like, Really puffing themselves up and yeah. talking it up about how they were going to do really well with like just representation. Just patting themselves on the back where they're like, yeah. ooh, the exclusively gay moment. Just you wait, guys. And Finally like, we see you gays. Right. And it's like, it's, 
It's LeFou, who is this tiny, like, homunculus of a sidekick. And, like, I'm supposed to be happy that, like, the Smithers to Gaston's Mr. Burns is openly gay. It's like, that, like, that, like, that's, that's what I get here. I don't get, like, Lumiere. I don't get Cogsworth. I get, like, the fucking sidekick to the villain. Oh, and you get that, and you also get one of the grunts, um, thinks he might like to wear women's clothing. Right, but he's gay, too, because you see him dancing with LeFou for a microsecond at the end, exclusively gay microsecond. (sighs) Yeah. It is Like, I don't... It's such a cynical manipulation of yeah. their, like, look at us, giving you gays what you want. I don't spend a lot of time in this particular episode talking about it, because, you know, it's a, it's a very pretty big tangent. But, like, I we've talked about this before. Like, I don't need, you know, I, I don't want to put it solely on Disney's head to, like, fix representation. I understand that there are, like, larger geopolitical issues sure. at play, mm-hmm. especially with, like, international markets. Oh, and, like, markets yeah. yeah, and, like, how do you, like... Balance that. Yeah, how do you have representation and still try to, like, you know, make money other countries? Like, that's obviously, it's hard, blah, 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 blah. There are complexities there that aren't solely on a, on a, on a bad, evil, soulless corporation, but on other forces yeah. out there. Mm-hmm. But... I don't need you to put it in Beauty and the Beast. Just go make some gay shit. Right, I mean, that's the thing, too, <laughs> right? Like, go make some gay movies. Yeah. Do that. I'll be happy with that. Yeah. Put Love, Simon, the series on Disney, or whatever, Love, Victor on Love Disney+, Victor. Plus yeah. instead of on Hulu. Like, do something like that. Like, that's fine. I don't care. It's like I don't this... need you to, like, make LeFou gay for me to be happy. But... No one was ever asking for LeFou to be gay. And the thing is, though, if you wanted to make someone gay in Beauty and the Beast, that's fine. But then really do it. Don't yeah. do this. If you're going to say it... If you're going to, if you're going to, they did that twice. They don't let us not forget. Were you thinking of Rise of Skywalker? Yes. Because I was just going to bring up Rise of Skywalker. They did it again in Rise of Skywalker. Whenever they have the two, they were like, like, guys, look out for it. Yeah, the two generals or whatever who kissed each other at the end. I mean, let's be honest, this is also still not the first time because then they also did it in Infinity War. No, they're like, that's that's a little bit different because I don't think anyone made a big deal about that. Yeah, I don't, Infinity War, it didn't bother me because it was never like the directors being like, look what we've done. And it was, it was also just like, it was a small moment where a guy in like a, you know, group therapy says like, Yeah, and it was unremarkable and when he said my boyfriend, nobody stopped and went, whoa! (laughs) And honestly, did I hear you guys? Boyfriend! Yeah, exactly. I wish someone did, though. That would be yeah. Captain America. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're accepting this shit now? They're like, yeah, Infinity War. We're finally giving the racist fanboys what they want. <laughs> like, it's... I, I'm not saying that that was, like, a... a no, I'm not saying that like, we should stand up and clap. But, but like, like it's that is fine. an example of how you make movies more representative. Yeah, that's like, having right. unremarkable small moments like that. Yeah. Not one every five movies. Right, and also, also ideally, <laughs> not, like, some minor character who yes. never shows up again. But, like, that is a, that is more of a step in the right direction than making LeFou gay or having I two, uh, you know, rebellion make, generals And also making you gay in, a, in the most, like, absurd, like, out there way possible. Right. Like, Where it's showing like, him dancing with a guy for once. Right, he realizes he's gay because he touches the hand of another man and is like, yes. hello there. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. And then, and, and doing the opposite of, like, like, putting, taking the lampshade off of it and, like, having a spotlight on it. <laughs> right. Whoa! What's happening over here? Also, like, I hate that he gets that whole, like, we're in a bad place right now. Talk, like, brief talk of Mrs. Potts. entire, like, turn, like, what's the episode of the heel turn at the end? It it happens in two scenes. Well, like, I mean, it happens because you see, like, the whole scenes where, like, they're going wherever he wants to leave Maurice Beaton by the wolves. And Lefou's like, I don't know, should we do this? And Gaston's like, yes, we're going to leave Beaton by the wolves. And they show him, like, walking to the pub. And Lefou's like, it wasn't a good thing that we did. There's like, for the half of the movie, Lefou's like, I'm starting to have a conscience here. And Gaston's like, nope, 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 nope. So, like, I'm not saying it doesn't happen slowly. I'm just saying it happens dumbly. Yeah. Like, it's not, I don't have an issue with how quickly it happens. I have an issue with just, like, 
I don't need this, you know? Like, I don't, I don't need an Aladdin movie where Yago's like, hey, wait a minute. Except he does do that. He does, I know, in Return he of Jafar. In Return of Jafar. Not, but in the yeah. cartoon, in the he's anime like, series, a good guy. Yeah, in Return of Jafar, he, like, comes back and helps. He's, like, oh, that's kind of right. a good guy. Yeah. It's been a long time yeah. since it's it the car- By the time of the cartoon, which is after all those movies, he's, like, joined the forces. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. The he's cartoon. kind of, like, the one that fucks up every now and then. Yeah, he, he's sort of, like, I don't want to say, like, an anti-hero, but he's yeah. kind of, like... Y- y- he's, like, a selfish good guy. He's a little bit more of a shit. So he gets them in trouble all the time. Right, which which was honestly not a bad idea if you're doing an animated series. Like, yeah. it's kind of fun. He was a great... I love Iago, honestly. Yeah. Going real quickly about the other change, two big changes oh, yes. that this movie made. One, I guess they're related to each other. You have The Beast's Magical Book. Because whenever uh, the Enchantress turned him into a beast and gave him a magic rose and a magic mirror, she was she like, also, yeah, she's like, also, I got this book here. Maybe you should take this book. And they're just like, it's the cruelest trick of all that she gave me a book that could teleport me to places. But like, it's not really the cruelest trick of all. Uh-huh. The cruelest trick of all is turning into a beast. Let's not be like, let's not miss words here. Um, and in addition to that, they use the book so that Belle can figure out the mystery of what happened to her mother when she asks Maurice in the beginning, tell me about mom. What was that? And he's like, no, I won't be doing that. And so, Belle finds out the mystery of her mother was that she died. Of the plague, I of guess. Plague. But it's like, it means nothing to her. And really. what does it matter? It's like a narrative cul-de-sac. Right. Yeah. It seems like it, it's in there because we don't address Belle's mother in the original, and it's bad that Disney moms are always dead, which I agree. It is bad that, like, one of your but parents are always dead. The answer isn't simply to just tell her how she, how died, she died. And pretend that <laughs> right. and but, pretend that, that answer was solving some kind of right. problem. Right. And so, like, now, now like, we've, we've, we've done right by mom by explaining right. why she's dead. That's it. Right. That's all you need to do, really, was explain why mom died, not have mom be an actual character. And again, as I say to you, the reason why there is one parent is because it's cheaper than having two parents in an animated movie. You need to hire one actor, you have to do less animation, unless you need the parents to be in conflict with each other over something, you can only have one parent. And that's why Disney characters have, like, one parent in these movies. Maybe I missed it, but was there ever a conversation the two of them have where they're like, wow, we both have dead moms? No, No. I don't think so. (laughs) Not really. Like... I mean, then why are we even going into this backstory so deep? Because you need to know why the beast is a beast. I guess. Why he, why he beast. It's, why beast. I guess it's interesting that it's like, it's, this movie seems concerned with exactly none of the questions that I'm interested in within this world or this story. And it takes none of the directions that I think would have been legitimate, interesting ones, and instead is busying itself over explaining a fairy tale to you. And it's like, no, I mean, it's just, uh, again, every explanation that I get, it raises more questions. Like, you're not doing this cleanly. Hmm. You're just causing more problems for me by trying to explain things in the first place. I'm better if you don't do anything than if you try to explain it. And the fucking book, because the book doesn't matter. It's a magical teleporting book, so they travel to the attic in Paris where her dad and her mom used to live, where she was a baby. They find all their crap, but it's inexplicably still there, covered in dust. <laughs> she brings find- back the, the rose-shaped rattle, right, which yeah. definitely has plague on it. It definitely matters, too, because yeah. it's a rose. Remember, roses After are a thing. 20 years, it's probably fine. But it, it is, admittedly, point. probably, yeah. And also, like, the doctor left his plague mask there, which feels, like, a little bit forgetful on the doctor's behalf. To, like, like It's like you, like, get, like... I mean, if you've been outside, there's a mask every 20 feet on the street. No, that is true. Is it, is, it is funny that the little peg doctor would have come in and then just popped his mask off. Yeah. yeah I, know. And, I, mean, it I, mean, like, I would have waited out until we got outside. Yeah. Like, oh. It doesn't remind me of, like, when I, like, when I go outside and forget to wear my mask, I get, like, a block where, like, oh, shit, like, run back, run back that inside. That happened to me the other day. I, I, like, was starting to cross the street and I was like, oh, why does it feel so air? Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That happens to me surprisingly often if I'm not, like, thinking about what I'm supposed to be doing. So maybe maybe the doctor was having a moment like that where he, like, got outside and <laughs> he got his mask up and he's oh, like, yeah, oh. The air is going to kill me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm gonna get fucking bubos. <laughs> um, uh, and and the, so, like, the book could 
maybe matter if you want to try and make it matter, right? Like, she's got to get back to help Maurice take the magic book. Here's the thing Don't that ride I... a horse back to the village that's God knows where. Use the magic teleporting book. Here's what I think is so stupid about it, right? It, they open up such a gigantic door with making that book be able to teleport you anywhere. Why isn't it just it lets you relive a memory that you technically have, but maybe you can't yeah, fully like recall or something? If I had that said, book, like holodeck rules, basically. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, if I had that book, I would have gone pissed off already. Yeah, yeah. Beast, exactly. Like, like you don't need to. Like again, I realize that you're a big beast thing, but like I don't know, wear a coat, like wear a hood. Well, he says like, oh, I can't go anywhere. I'm like, really anywhere? You can like go to like I don't know, New Zealand, and right? Yeah, just exactly. live in the mountains. Right. It's 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 just so Who nuts to Quasimodo me. if you right. like Paris so Exactly. Much. Yeah. You can be best friends. That he has this easy out that he in no way is really taking advantage of. And also, like when you compare it to the other shit, the rose has relevance, I guess, because the rose is sort of like innocence dying or something, right? Where like the rose is slowly dying, and as that dies, like so is your humanity. The mirror, it's, you're looking at yourself. It's a reflection of you. You're you're like looking up who you are inside and allowing you to see other things. The book is like I, I don't know. Do you hate to read? Did he like not want to read? We just had like, to somewhere. What's his deal with the book. We just had to get to the attic. For some reason, because that's literally the only reason—that's the only thing they use the fucking book for. Yeah, and I mean, also maybe like there's like a way that if Belle knew also maybe that her mom had died of the plague, and maybe this is just that she doesn't talk about it because it upsets her dad too much, and so it's not like a fucking mystery like ooh, what happened to mommy? It's like maybe that's one of the things she bonds with the beast over. I like I lost my mom when I was very young too. She was taken from me, and like, uh, but you know, my dad was pretty great. I had a great time with my dad, and that's when the beast is like, oh. I, I was a real jerk to imprison your dad who was very nice to you and brought you up so well. It's just like, like you kind of stumbled across something to do, right. but then you just sort of flubbed it. Like you're right. Like, I also just want to say, like, with very few exceptions, a lot of the ways the song and dance numbers are shot are just very boring. Yeah, so if you just want to go real quick into, like, direction and characters about yeah. that sort of thing. Um, the direction of this movie is, by and large, I think, pretty bad. Yeah. Given that Bill Condon's, like, a director who directs things, yeah. uh, he comes off as pretty inept it's in this movie. It's flat and unimaginative, yeah. and very, a lot of the shots are static. That That is in a weird way to me where I'm like, you have a lot of people moving. You need to be following your main... And you pointed something out to me, too, of, like, in the in the the bonjour opening song wide shots they do a terrible job of making sure you can see Belle. Right. Because in the animated movie, and like the, the animators and the directors have talked about this, this is a thing, that all the townspeople are wearing like red, brown, yellow, like very earthy colors. Belle is the only one wearing blue. So when they do wide shots, you can see Belle. Belle stands out. Belle is weird. She's wearing a different color than everyone else. That's how you know that she's strange. And then in this one, everyone's just wearing whatever the fuck they want to wear. So like when it's you've got white... cornucopia already. It really is, yes. It's, it's, so you've got like students wearing blue and Belle's marching by and like, which one's Belle? I don't know. You see a it wide shot. Where the fuck's Belle here? Look particularly low class. They, yeah, no, like, it doesn't. They, they're not very provincial. Like, no, they yeah. look like like pretty well off. They do. Like they're, they're wearing, wearing fairly nice clothes, clothes yeah. right? Yeah, they're not wearing like shitty, you know, smocks. Yeah, and or there's something. like a lot of. They're not simple. There's like a lot of Four frills. Names. And, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Just, there's, I don't know. It, it makes her ta- like this version makes her town like a much weirder place. Like, yeah. to, like, like they're much better off, and they're much more worse. I think they're in the end. Where in the anime movie, they're just kind of like a town of like simple people with no particular hopes or dreams. Right. Yeah. And this one, they seem to be, like, actively against women doing things. Yes. And, like, whereas in the original, you have, like, Gaston. And Gaston's whole thing is that, like, the town likes him because he's handsome. And he's, like... He says what, and Right. Hockey. And he says what they want to hear. Whereas in this one, it's like, oh, he's a soldier. And he has PTSD. And, like, we follow him because, like, he's tricking us and shit. Like, it's right. Like, it's so much simpler and so much more realistic to me if Gaston is a bad guy just because he's attractive. And people will often rally behind someone who he tells them what they want to hear and happens to look 
tokenized. Which you know? might be the theme. I know, exactly. It's, just, it's so simple. You're muddling up so much by over-explaining things. In the beginning, in that fucking prologue, which takes like six minutes to explain what a bunch of stained glass windows did in 90 seconds, you've got like... It, it's it's weird to me also that like you're showing the beast so vividly, whereas in the original animated movie, you go out of your way to not show either the human or the beast beast until he reveals himself to Belle at the end. So like you mm-hmm. see, admittedly, Dan Stevens under a bunch of goofy, froofy makeup, but like you can still tell it's fucking Dan Stevens. You're going out of your way to not showing the servants, but why do we care about us not seeing the servants? Why is it okay to see Stanley Tucci and Dr. McDonald, but not Ewan McGregor? It's just like, like, what are you trying to say with the way you are telling this story is really just what I want to know. I don't get it. Yeah. The whole visual palette of this movie, I kind of want to compare it against Cinderella because I think mm-hmm. that Cinderella did a very good job of creating like kind of a nice, vibrant, sort of like painterly aesthetic to mm-hmm. it without being like, I don't know, uh, cartoony. Mm-hmm. It sort of like evoked the cartoon, like a, the animated vibe with mm-hmm. like a vibrant palette, but it didn't feel too much right. ever. I just liked the color schemes in that movie, whereas this feels like too much color, too much brightness, too much saturation at all times. I would wonder, actually, if Cinderella had more practical sets than this movie did. I don't know. I think that might be part of it, and I'm not really sure. Because I feel like the parts of Cinderella that I like the least are the ones that are the most, like, leaving the ball at the end, and they're being chased by, like, and they're, like, on a cliff, and it's, like, kind of going over the edge of the cliff, like, whoa, no! But, like, when they're, like, actually in locations, like, when they're in her house, or where they're, like, in the the physical locations of the prince's castle, like, it looks fine. Mm -hmm. It looks heightened, it looks elevated, but it looks real. Yeah, I didn't mind Cinderella. I think Cinderella's worst crime is that it is a boring story then, and it's a boring story now. No, I mean, the the worst (laughs) worst thing with Cinderella is that it's not telling the story in a different, interesting way. It's just telling the story, which is like, you've got Ever After if you want, like, an interesting take on Cinderella. Yeah. And that is just like, I do too. And, like, the Disney Cinderella is just like, well, it's Cinderella. Right. And it's not, Cinderella's not like, you know. It's not, I mean, it just never spoke to me as a story, you know? Her virtue is that she's, like, nice, like, right. Right. And, like, and I think, you know, like, and that's. Fine. Like, there's yeah. probably, like, you, you should be nice. Let's, don't get us wrong. Like, Again, they, being nice is good. They but, like, try to, like, temper that in Never After, whereas I felt like in the Cinderella remake, they gesture at it again, but it really is just like, oh, you're so nice. Yeah, there's a lot I want to go into whenever we discuss that at some point mm-hmm. in the future, because I have a whole big thing about, like, Cinderella's weird, like, nice and good morality. thing that they do. Yeah, the morality of Cinderella. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was, like, really just, just like, the direction of the movie that I thought was extremely bizarre. Do you have anything you want to say in terms of, like, characters? Characters? Yeah. I mean, don't feel as if I can rightly judge Dan Stevens' performance, simply because it's lost under so much. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I'm pretty confident both he and Emma Watson give it their best shot. Yeah, like, I think Emma Watson's probably, like, a fine she's okay. choice for Belle. Like, if you're going to make the movie nowadays, like, oh, yeah, Emma Watson is fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I like Luke Evans as Gaston. I think the issue really, though, is that... With the writing. Gaston, no, I was going to say the problem really is that he has, I think, the nicest singing voice of the three leads. So, like, when your <laughs> villain sounds the most pleasant of the three of you, like, we've probably gone astray. He's also you know? the one out of the three leads who has musical training. Right, that's like, also true, too. He has, a big, he has a musical background. Right, and I don't think Dan Stevens sounds bad, but they're doing some weird processing to his voice, which I think... I don't think it's auto-tune. I think it's an attempt to make him sound weird and guttural. And deeper. Yeah. So and I like, think there's, like, a roar or a growl they put into it. Right. So I think that whenever he sings, it sounds particularly bizarre. And poor Emma Watson is just, like, auto-tuned on almost every note, <sighs> yeah. which I just... I it flattens like. out any character her voice could have had. Right. It's it's. I would rather hear someone not quite sing it perfectly, but sing it with emotion, than I would hear how someone hit every note exactly and have no passion behind it, which is what I think I get from her bell. We got a Jack the Giant Slayer reunion with the Tooch, and you 
McGregor right. back again in ridiculous back. costumes uh, yep. and elevating material that doesn't deserve their time. I, I just wish they had some time together in this movie. I know they like I know. They, they barely converse with each other. Um, um, but I also just want to say, like, I want to put Audrey McDonald on that level because, I mean, she's given a really raw deal in this, but she's quite good. I think she is good in this because I think she's, like, the only one who seems to be having fun with I mean, she, I guess, does too a little bit. My love! Like, I think you're McGregor. I mean, we have different thoughts on McGregor. Yeah. I think that he is having fun with his goofy as shit. I, do, I think that Ewan McGregor should not have tried to do an accent, and I would have been much better with it, you know? I'm like, glad he did. I'm 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 a member of the goofy French. I mean, I think like Jerry Orbach only did it to sound like Maurice Chevalier, which was like the entire idea behind Lumiere is that he is like a Maurice Chevalier type. And I feel like Ewan McGregor is only doing it because Jerry Orbach did it. It's not like like this is who he believes the character to be. It's like, well, in the anime one, he had a French accent, so you should probably have a French accent here. Like, I think it would be perfectly fine if he wasn't trying to do this ridiculous accent. I think it really affects his singing more so than other things. Where like he's just like. There are various, like, points in the songs where he doesn't have an accent, I think, just because, like, it's hard to do. It's, it's very hard to, hard sing, to an sing in a character voice. And so I, I think that if they had abandoned that, it would have been a Smarter. lot... Like, it would have been a lot more solid for me. Um, I also don't like Emma Thompson in this, which is a shame, because I love Emma Thompson. I think she's a treasure. But I... <laughs> Again, the face can't connect to her weird little China face. I don't think her rendition of Beauty and the Beast is particularly good. Mm. And I mean, like, it's weird, too, because Angela Lansbury, while being a Broadway performer, is not, like, a singer with a capital S, you know? Like, she has, like, a characterful voice, and that is, like, her strength right there. Like, I mean, Mrs. Lovett in Sweeney Todd is not, like, a, like she doesn't sound great. Like, there are people who will, like, sing those songs better, mm. but she sounds great because she gets who the character is, mm-hmm. and she is making, like, smart acting choices through the song, which I think is what works so well about Beauty and the Beast when she performs it with Emma her voice is kind of thin and it's it's there there are a lot of times where she kind of like acts her way through the song in a strange way instead of singing it like I just remember like bittersweet and strange finding you can change where she's like making this like weird choice to like hammer these words or something where it's just like I, I don't enjoy this I don't enjoy this moment I don't enjoy you singing which is rough because I love her so much I, I also think Ian McKellen doesn't really make much of an impression nope. on me I think again, he's lost behind the clock phase. Yeah. Again, I think that's going to be the running theme with all of these is that they're it's just like voice acting essentially. Mm-hmm. But the the problem is right there there are actors who I would have loved to have seen in costume doing these characters, but instead I hear their voices that I also love, but out of extremely unengaging right. digital bodies that it, for my eyes are consistently getting lost in the background because everything is very muddy and in the shadows, and it's I don't know it's. Soupy. I, I sort of see where you're coming from, but I would raise you that I don't think that there's a live-action version of this movie where they are able to participate in any form of visual acting. Yeah. Because I think any... I think on stage, when you wear costumes, we accept it. Mm-hmm. I think any film version of that is going to immediately go into, this is childish. And yeah. I mean, the problem is also that, like, it's, it's again, just that you're striving for realism, right? Yeah. And so, like, that's what, you, that's the look that you want for this movie. You want to look realistic. So they have to look realistic. Like, you can't have, like, I, yeah. a cadenza with, like, a weird mouth on it flopping open and, like, eyebrows that move up and down. Right. It's like, you look at this thing, it's like, well, I, I guess the keys are your teeth, and I guess your eyes are the music holder. It, it kind of makes sense. I think that, like, I guess that, I know that kind of Disney needs to, like, put people in these put bust in seats and get people get big names but mm-hmm. I think they should just have hired a bunch of voice actors yep no and, I mean that's that's probably and, true to be yeah. fair and you know what if if you absolutely must have Dan Stevens and 
uh, Emma Watson as your lead. Hire voice doubles for the singing. I don't know if I, but again, I, I feel like they needed it. I feel like Emma Watson would have been perfectly okay. Not as good as Pedro Hera in the original. Not as good as Susan Egan. I guess what I'm worried about is I think she would have been fine. If they auto tuned it, was it because her voice wasn't cutting it? No, I don't think they auto tuned because her voice wasn't cutting it. I think they auto tuned because like, oh, it's got to sound great. Like it's got to sound oh, perfect. Okay. You want this to sound absolutely great, and like that's what you get whenever you try to do something like that. Um, what was I? Guess? Oh yeah, the one I, I would have rather had Stanley Tucci as Cogsworth. I think that would have been my swap. Is that I think he would have been more fun as a more visible role. Yeah, I think. Whereas Ian McCallum is like fine as Cogsworth. If it was fine. Tucci as Cogsworth, then you would break her. They definitely would have fucked. Oh, a hundred percent. Like you could yeah, definitely have that. That would be. Simmering chemistry. Right, it's, it's like at the end of Cats, whenever you have Mistopheles and Mungastrap, like, making that, like, face yeah. each other, like, where, it's like, where they, like, dart off and it's like, oh, those two are gonna fuck. Yeah. Not in the movie, though. No homo in the movie. Yep. Uh, just real quick, looking to score, so it's sort of, I guess, interesting in some ways, I guess, that Alan Menken is doing the score for this once again, so it's kind of like you get a do-over to, like, go back, like, you do, like, and it's weird also because he's using most of the same score that was used in the animated movie. Like, like occasionally, they will shoehorn in the new song as underscore and every time that happens I'm like oh stop it like stop yeah. it those songs don't belong there and which which I guess also goes to say that um, I don't like any of the new songs that were out in this movie you've got like them. how does the moment last forever which Maurice sings you've got days in the sun you've got a little reprise of that um, you've got the beast song evermore that he sings as Belize which is like Again, like, a problem I think that I have with the original movie is that the Beast does not have a solo, which he probably should have. Like, you are right to watch that movie and think the Beast should have a song at some point. But it's, but that's not it. It's a boring song. No, it's a boring song. Like, this is, like, Tim Rice is not untalented as a lyricist, but he's so fucking bad here. Like, he is, he's either on or he's not. And here he is definitively not on. Because he's just like, the, the songs don't tell me anything. Like, what does Days in the Sun tell me? It tells me nothing. It tells me that once they had Days in the Sun. What does Evermore tell me? He's sad. I get that he's sad. I know that he's sad. I looked at his face, and his face said that he was sad. <laughs> Why am I listening to him singing about how sad he is? Well, you can see it in the digital face right. rendered in the digital blue moon. Exactly, his digital tears streamed it's, down his face. The pixel, the ones and zeros just streamed from his face, and I was like, that's a tear. And I don't mean to say that there's not, you know, art out there that can't, you know, that we could emotionally engage with, but... This CG just does not cut it. No, he 100% should have been wearing prosthetics and played the role physically. And then maybe they could animate the... Yeah, and just like, just zhuzh up a little bit in post. But give it it something to to be rooted on, because otherwise, I almost feel like we're messing around with the, the, the Godzilla from, not the more recent one, but the one before it, the... Was the the director? Oh, the Roland Emmerich? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean... And, and just something like Days in the Sun, like, it, it's comparable to a song that was written for the movie and not used, but then end up in the Broadway show called Human Again, where the objects sing about how they want to be human again, like, what they would do if they're human again. It's kind of like, they're like, you have something to work with. Like, yeah. you have everyone saying, like, what, what they want to do whenever this is all over, and what they're, get, what like, the passage of time, yeah. and what they're doing right now, where Days in the Sun is just like, sure would be nice. Why yeah. didn't they use the stage of songs? Because uh, you can't win an Oscar for the stage songs. Because they well, wouldn't... You couldn't win an Oscar for I the stage songs. I know. Like, that's the thing I love about this. The end credits have like the Celine Dion version of Husband Last Forever. Then it has yeah. the Josh Groban version of Evermore. You could tell that they were really like, come on, come on. One of these is going to win an Oscar. And yeah. none of them did, which they should not have won an Oscar. So no, like, deservedly so. Who wrote the new songs? Alan Macon and Tim Rice. So Alan Macon, who did the songs for the original, but Howard Ashman died um, many, many years ago. He died while Beauty and the Beast was in pre-production. Did Mice write some garbage that I know about? He wrote the lyrics for the Nutcracker movie musical. Remember oh, that? Really? Yep. Woo-hoo! I mean, he's did he really? Shit. Yeah. I mean, he's done good shit too. Like he did the lyrics. He did some lyrics for Aladdin. 
Uh, Howard Ashman did some of them for Aladdin also before he passed. He um, did the lyrics for, like, the Beauty and the Beast stage show. And, like, those are mostly fine. So it's like, he can be good. It's just that, like, sometimes it seems like he's just, you know, cashing that paycheck or something. Like, he did the lyrics for Lion King. Lyrics for Lion King, pretty good. Like, I, I just, I truly don't get it. He just was not present at all for this. He was just, you know. Maybe, you know what, maybe when... In meetings with Disney, they're like, can you believe how much money we're going to make? That just didn't inspire him to make soulful music and for these they, updates, I mean, you know? I'm not saying this movie deserved a better song, but, like, you know, you could have, yeah. right? Yeah, but I, I guess what I'm trying to imply here is, like, there is a lack of effort and a lack of soul through every inch of this movie. No, it's true. Um, this was a mechanical going through of the motions to tickle something that I don't think was ever an itch for me. You no. know, I, I guess I, I know I just mixed metaphors there, but I'm like, the world in which I just watch digital simulacrum reenact a movie that was better when it wasn't this fancy or expensive, that's not that's not for me. I, yeah. I don't like it. I mean, I, I think for me it's just sort of like, like with something like The Jungle Book, I can leave it and be like, well, you know, the original one was probably more charming and fun, but I really liked the story that they tried to do for the quote-unquote live-action one. Whereas with this one, it's like, I don't think this thing did anything better than the animated movie did. Like, that's its biggest failing for me. Like, it could have done something better. It's and it funny didn't. to me that the original animated movie was like Eisner being like, we're fucking winging an Oscar, guys. It's going to happen for us. And then it didn't. And then I... It's weird to me that they thought, okay, but what if we, like, just toned down, like, everything that worked about the first movie? Well, to be fair, the original one was not that they thought they were going to win an Oscar. They were shocked when it was nominated for us. Pocahontas was the movie that they made and were like, this is going to fucking win Best Picture. Pocahontas was, like, 100% what they thought was going to be their prestige picture. Beauty and the Beast was kind of like, oh, you mean we could win an Oscar? Beauty and the Beast was the one that proved they could do prestige. I mean, it could because it was nominated, but it was not intended for that. Like, they didn't, like, make this movie thinking, like, hey, maybe it'll get a a nominee for Best Picture. Mm. It just sort of happened. All right, fixes. Who's got them? Who wants to throw them out? I mean, I got the simplest one, and it's really just, like, I... I, maybe this is a cop out. I just wouldn't make this movie. I'm not remaking the animated film. I know, but Chris, you had to. This is the, the challenge. Oh, right. I had gone into my head. Yes. I had to re- remake it. Disney is backing up a dump truck full of money to your house. <laughs> and he's saying, please. Can I keep make it no matter movie. what happens? No. Oh. Um, well, I think what I'm doing then is I am. I'm just undoing a lot of these new story elements and I'm taking I'm just toning I mean I'm just going to use as many locations and real sets and costumes and prosthetics as possible um, I actually think you will gain a lot more humanity warmth and weirdly enough believability in this movie if you tone down that shit um, I would also just do away with a lot of these changes that just complicate things for no reason um, I think the core message of the movie even if it's elemental is was already really elegantly <laughs> given to us in the first movie, so I see no reason to fuck with it. Um, yeah, I'll give the Beast a solo, but it's not going to be the one he has. We're, like, going to get someone else to write it. Um, and, yeah, we're just going to do... We're either going to, like, do voice doubles for the leads, or we're just going to let them sing with character. I just, like... I think my biggest problem with this is just how tapioca mush it all is because they wanted to update it in ways that I didn't find necessary and everything else was like either auto-tuned or smoothed out and I just it's it's dumb if it's so featureless and smooth I'm not interested so like a Ken doll like a Ken doll <laughs> no genitals just yeah. just slide right down the front of it yeah. <laughs> I'll go. so that's it alright 
Um, so I, uh, because I've sort of been into before and always and recently actually based off of the, the news that Frogwars going to make a new insane Sherlock Holmes game that does insane things with Sherlock Holmes. I really like when you do insane things with things that I like. <laughs> I think, fuck it, why not? Who cares? The original's there. Mm-hmm. And I don't want, no, I, nobody asked for this remake, really. I don't think so. I think Disney may be comfortable into wanting it, but nobody really needed it. Um, and I don't want to try to live up to it. So I'm just going to do my own insane Beauty and the Beast. And so my insane Beauty and the Beast, I think, is that uh, the curse happened, like, I don't know, maybe 200 years ago. And that the palace that the beast was in and all the servants have been sort of, like, time frozen Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. it. So that, like, they haven't aged at all. And it's got nothing to do with, like, a flower that ages or whatever. (laughs) Uh, And the priest isn't quite, like, an unrepentant asshole. But I'm really into... We talked about this maybe off mic and maybe during the episode. I can't remember when. I I talk about it a lot. But I like it when curses... Yeah, you mentioned it during the episode. uh, ...are sort of, like, a reflection of, like, human flaws. uh, Or sort of, like, the... magical physical manifestation of your own flaws mm. and that overcoming the curses is kind of like how in life you want to uh compensate for your flaws or like you know get over big phobias or or, or other you know anxiety issues that you're any like mental issues that you have like finding ways to cope with them and overcome them uh and so i kind of want that the curse to be like Maybe it could still be inflicted by an enchantress, but something that is within the beast's power to solve himself. Um, that it's not about, like, you know, getting a kiss from the true love or, like, having something someone Something that actually has you. to do with the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that he has to do, not something that has to be done to him, I guess. Yeah. And which, you know, it kind of is, but it is still kind of re- reliant on, like... Right, because, like, he has to fall in... He can fall in love with him, but she yeah. also has to fall in love with him yeah. back, so it's not, like, a one-sided... I kind of like that it, if it's just something that he has to do to, like... To bring everyone back. Um, and I kind of... If the people are going to be involved, I kind of want it to have to do with the whole kingdom or the whole <laughs> palace, at least. Um, and I, I, I don't have... I think if you gave me, like, a couple of days, I could come up with, like, a really good, compelling uh, backstory for how it happens. But I don't ultimately think it matters. I think mm-hmm. what I want to do is a story of Beauty and the Beast where, like, there are no... Uh, villains, per se, other than, like, uh, you know, the poisons that live inside all of the, the toxins of our minds. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I'm, I'm being very, like, uh, glib about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that I you can be glib about it, but it could, I'm also being genuine, like, at the same time. I think that it would be a compelling story. So I would still ha- probably have Gaston and the village. I'd probably have that arc of, like, them figuring out that there's this, like, palace with a crazy beast and being like, ah, oh, shit, it's a monster. But I think that from Gaston, it would come from a much more real place of, like, having maybe, like, you know, he's got his own hang-ups about mm-hmm. why a monster is something that he needs to destroy. Uh, and the people are, are also, like, you know, their their fears of a beast uh, in a palace come from a very, like, reasonable place. And so no, no one is, like... Wrong, per se. Wrong. It's just... And it's more of a story about how uh, people have to, like, you know learn to adapt and change. Uh, I am watching a show right now that maybe is a little, kind of a little bit influencing me because it is a bit similar in theme about like sort of like a half beast guy, mm. um, half Gumiho, that yeah. Gumiho show, uh, which is like the Korean version of a uh, Kitsune, Nine-Tailed Fox. Mm. And so like there, a lot of that is like, and a lot of him, like when he takes, he has this like bracelet that, you know, prevents his powers from coming out. When he takes it off, he hulks out because he can't control it, and but he has to like learn to like, you know, it, it is within his power to like not become a freak mm-hmm. to beast. Uh, and I was talking about Halsman Castle earlier because I like the way that she gets cursed by a witch in the beginning, 
And I never, I have to rewatch it again and sort of like remember what's going on. And but the, visually in the movie, the way that her curse is depicted is like it isn't like she looks like an ugly old lady all the time. Like there are moments where like bits of her old uh, appearance come out, and mm-hmm. I feel like it is. I don't. I could be completely wrong about this, but I always remembered it as it being connected to maybe her self esteem, where like in moments where she was more confident, she would appear more younger and more beautiful. Uh, or at least not beautiful, but like like she was in the beginning, because she was not really depicted as like I guess like a huge beauty, um, but she would appear more like herself. Whereas in other moments, she would be this like sort of frail, pudgy old lady. Mm-hmm. And I liked that as sort of like, and she does sort of like fully revert to her original appearance in the end, maybe because she's like had this journey of discovery and realized well, all that she's capable of. And I kind of liked that as like that's sort of my favorite representation of like a curse. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's kind of what I would do. Okay. Uh, I feel like you're kind of a little bit at a disadvantage with this movie in the first place just because you already have a definitive live-action version of Beauty and the Beast, which is like the Jean Cocteau Beauty and the Beast. Like, it it works for adults. It's a great interpretation of the story. It's very smart, very romantic, very intelligent. Like, so... It's visually very interesting. Right. So, like, from the get-go, you're kind of like, you're you're in a bad spot if someone says to you, Disney wants to make a live-action version of Beauty and the Beast. So, I think what you can kind of turn to a little bit is the stage show of Beauty and the Beast, which I think mostly does a pretty good job of expanding upon the movie and making some smarter choices. I feel like what this movie is kind of trying to do at some point is to make Belle a more active protagonist. Because if you think about it, really, the story is not Belle's, the story is the Beast. Like, the Beast is basically the protagonist in the animated movie. Because Belle changes a little bit, but she doesn't per se have a journey that she goes on. She talks about how, like, I want adventure, and then she, like goes on this adventure, and she's like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. Like, we're done. So, like, I, I think that you probably need to strengthen Belle's core story a little bit more if you were going to expand Beauty and the Beast into something of a longer story. And I guess maybe something of that would ha- could have something maybe to do with Belle. I don't want to say that she, like, judges people based on their appearances entirely, but just that maybe she makes very snap decisions about people mm-hmm. where she's instantly like, okay, this town's full of dum-dums. Gaston's a fucking idiot. Yeah. Fucking hate him. Um, you know, like, and then she, like, shows up and meets this beast, and he's like, this is fucking dick. Like, this, mm-hmm. like you, you fucking jerk. Like, you're a big fucking monster. I fucking hate you. Like, what is this bullshit? And so she's the one who, like, actively has to realize, like, through her interactions with the beast and the objects that, like, oh, like, I do bad things too. Like, I'm not this perfect person who, like, in- instantly realizes that, like, good things are within people. But, like, you know, like, I I have a, you know, a journey to go on right. here in this as well. Like, I also have to learn about, like, like, what people are truly, like, inside versus, like, what I think they are based off of their outside. So, like, I'm not saying she should be, like, a fucking racist, like, you know, monster like the people in her town, but, like, a little bit of something I think might strengthen Belle a little bit. To have a to have a, 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 a shortcoming for her to recognize about herself. In right, her so that she can change in some way by the end of the movie. Just so that she's not a paragon that the Beast has to walk towards. Right, exactly. And, and um, she doesn't have to be totally wrong either. Like, she could just, she maybe she's no worth in this, like, town. Yeah. Because they don't care about Right, problems. and I'm not saying that, like, she should go back and realize, like, oh, because, like, the town people actually are kind of okay. Like, some of them can be still dicks. It's yeah. all right. Like, it doesn't... No, just, just, yeah, she's, like, dismisses this whole, like, existence. Right. It's like, oh, you guys are, like, none of you, like, have understand anything about life. Yeah. Like, just because, like, they don't read or whatever. Right. No, exactly. Like, she like she believes that she has a better sense of things yeah. than, like, this town might. Um, I, I think also I would want to incorporate a few songs from the stage show. Like I had said before, Human Again is the song that, uh, where the object's 
sort of talk about what it is that they want. Uh, the Beast has a song that I like a lot that ends Act 1 called If I Can't Love Her, which occurs when Belle splits before she gets chased by the wolves, which I think is a good place for the Beast to have a song. And I think the moment at the end where Evermore is in this movie, where the Beast is moping about how sad he is, that moment should be a song for Belle instead to reflect sort of upon how she has changed and what she has learned in this, because again, I think that goes back to strengthening her a little bit more as a character yeah. and showing like where she has come. Uh, the other thing that stage show does that I really like that I would kind of want to consider trying to do here is that obviously in the stage show you have you're, you're at another disadvantage from the animated movie because like you, you have like a five foot tall teapot on stage it's kind of like how do you how do you yeah. deal with the fact that you have a person who is playing a teapot and the way the stage show chooses to deal with that is that Kind of like in this movie, they are slowly turning into the objects that they are, but they are still human. So, like, mm-hmm. Lumiere is still, like, a normal human, but his hands are candles. Mm-hmm. And, like, Mrs. Potts has, like, an arm that's a spout, but, like, she is still kind of a person as well. And then, like, when Act 2, in the intermission between Act 1 and 2, they have different costumes they put on to show them turning more into the objects. Mm-hmm. So I kind of would like to do something like that so you could have actual physical actors there on set. If you wanted to, maybe you could futz with the scale a little bit. Like, maybe Lumiere is, like, a little bit shorter than he might normally be, and Mrs. Potts is, like, a little bit more, like, rotund maybe than she might normally and be. And will we roll out digital porcelain technology? Of course we will. Yeah. Of course we will. It's perfect for that. The time is right. <laughs> so I, I think it might be nice to um, have them portrayed by actual people yeah. who are still kind of capable of physical movement but know that like when this when the final pedal falls, they will be turned into basically like the animated objects from the original animated movie. They're not going to turn into inanimate objects, but they will be full on like humans trapped as candlesticks or what have you. And also that way you could also kind of spend a little bit more time. Cause if you've got to pad this plot out to two hours, you might as well spend some time with the enchanted objects, get to see what they're like, like have Belle interact with them, have the beast interact with them a little bit more. Because like you said, there's the moment at the end where Lumiere sees the beast as a human. He's like, and the beast is like, hello old friend. They're like, are you like, he's your employer. Like, yeah. first of all, like I don't, also get the impression that you guys were friends at all like maybe if you had had a few scenes of Lumiere like talking to the beast or building up his confidence or like telling him how to approach love because Lumiere is like the horniest fuck in the entire right. palace like, which they do nothing with right which they kind of do in the animated movie but don't do it all here so like I don't know maybe you could do some of that maybe you could have the beast like learning to appreciate these people who he took like for granted as well and that could be part of his change a little bit more too I don't know so I think that's what I'd want recommend sure. it no yeah probably no. not just see the animated movie no the animated movie is so much better I have to be honest, I, I don't know if this was the f- people's first experience of Beauty and the Beast. Oh, no, uh. that's what I hate. You know, like, I, I, I'm so sad that there are probably children who, like, for this, for them, this is Beauty and the Beast. You know, like, for them, the CGI Lion King is Lion King. Like, that's so awful. I can't imagine what that must be like for you. I don't even look back on it in terms of, like, these movies are sacred, but I do feel like, wow, this would just be bad if this was the if this was the Beauty and the Beast that you knew. Right, and, and, I, and this is bad if, like, this is the Disney Beauty and the Beast. You know, like, there are other versions of Beauty and the Beast. Like, again... Octo, go see it. It's great. Right. But, like, if this is what you think Disney's Beauty and the Beast is, like, oof, boof, boof. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I normally feel like I'm, like, qualifying my, oh, yeah, you should see it if. No. Yeah. Yeah, I don't no. I don't find this movie enjoyable. I normally find something about all of our movies to like. I don't like this movie very much. Yeah. It's boring. Yeah, if there was like any I'd say like maybe the score is good, but again, it's like it's the score that was from the original movie, so like I don't know. It was good there too. Yeah. Just yeah. watch it there. Uh Facebook.com slash Wildlife Podcast is our Facebook site. Give us a like there. Drappack.com is our actual website. You can subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and I think that's about it we'll be back in two weeks with an actual full episode because 
our schedule is all messed up right now. So uh, be prepared for that full episode. Again, it's going to be Flypaper, which we had talked about in the previous mini. Mm-hmm. Boy, things are all out of order. At some point, we'll make sense of this. This crazy COVID soon. world. Yeah. Very soon. Very yeah. soon. All right. Flypaper in two weeks. Till then. Buzz, buzz. Bye. Buzz, buzz. Bye. Bye. Bye.